0: hello everybody let's see it is uh wednesday august 17th 2017. this is the promotional more practice live chat on mmafighting.com thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it um today on the program we will get to uh pretty obviously we'll get to ufc 202 stuff right that's just days away now um, as well as this whole John Jones saga that seems to just never end, right? I'm not sure where one John Jones saga begins and ends anymore, honestly. They're overlapping, literally. Uh, so we'll get to that as well. Uh, and whatever else is on your mind, uh, best place to get your questions in, two places. One, um, the comment section of MMA Fighting, where this post is embedded. And uh, on Twitter, if you use the hashtag chat rappers, all one word, uh, then I will likely see that and get to that later in the chat program um i to see if i have any housekeeping notes for today i don't think i do no new updates on t-shirt stuff although that's still development uh much further along than it's ever been um oh uh just one last plug if you haven't seen the monday morning analyst it's the one folks have been asking for for a while which is the aldo edgar breakdown now someone had a pretty funny comment uh about it they're like what are you going to review next the penny farthing it's a very good zing however the reason why it's a little bit late is one there was just sort of a backlog in terms of work but more than that I just want to make sure I got it right. I'd want to watch the fight over and over and over again. I can't say how many times I watched it, and I feel very confident that the analysis in there is um, is correct and of value. So if you want to give that a look, it's on the MMA Fighting YouTube page. It's how Jose Aldo defeated Frank Yeager, UFC 200, Monday Morning Analyst. Okay, enough with the plugs for another podcast. Let's get to the one at hand. Let's see. Oh, and of course, you know what time it is. Everyone's always like, ah, that's going to kill you. I'm like, believe me, dog, of all the things I do, this is the least of my concerns. All right. Okay, first question up here on the thread. Um, Odd buzz around this weekend. There has been a lot of talk about the lack of hype going into this card, meaning many think that this card will not outdo UFC 196. Google Trends backs this up, showing there is less interest in Conor now than there was going into this Nate Diaz rematch. There is no question Saturday night will be a big fight, but how big is the question? Do you think this is similar to UFC 190, Rousey versus Kohea? how that had virtually no buzz going into it, and then it blew away all predictions. Both were early in August cards. Yeah, I think that what you'll find is, number one, come Saturday, it's still Wednesday. I mean, they haven't even done any official press functions as part of a UFC-sanctioned event yet. McGregor had the um, the workout and Q and A last week, but still, this is you know the, the, I think there's going to be a press conference today at four o'clock our time, so um, you'll see the Diaz and McGregor together in a way where it stays away. It'll probably pose off, so it'll feel real starting today and then on. So there's certainly some of that. I don't think it's like Rousey versus Cohea because that took place in Brazil, so it was there wasn't a lack of buzz because it was hard to feel it. There was just enough buzz to make sure that folks wanted to see what Ronda Rousey was up to. At the very end of things, but um, this is the problem with doing pay per views overseas. You know, Rousey can buck that trend. She can go to Brazil, she can go to Australia, and still sell really, really well. But not a lot of other guys can. Um, again, there's some exceptions, but certainly not over that one million pay per view by rate, rate mark. And she has that ability. Um, this is here in Las Vegas, so if there's a lack of buzz for this one, it's even a little bit harder to understand. Relative to, you know, the, the geographic location is not a limiting factor here except on the other end of things. UFC has been to Las Vegas a lot for big fights this year. They just went to T-Mobile Arena last month with a giant event. I think there's a little bit of fatigue. I think there's also a little bit of you know, monetary resources getting drained. Um, how many people can afford to go to Conor McGregor fights this often? I don't think that many. Um, there's just something to be said for consistency helping your fighting acumen but there is a little bit of if if coming to see you is an expensive event and i think for most people it is travel to las vegas hotel stay um tickets for the event itself and tickets for his event are never going to be cheap there's how many times can you really do that in a row so i think that's part of it i think the fact that he got yanked from 200 kind of hurt it a little bit as well um uh, i'm trying to think about some other factors and there might just be a factor that i didn't consider this to me what's really intriguing about saturday is that Geez, I don't really know what's going to happen. Could it look like, uh, and that's true for every fight, every MMA fight, of course, but I mean, it it seems very, very much, I'm expecting surprises of some variety or the other uh, on Saturday because the circumstances by which the first fight was created were so rushed and hurried and odd that when you have a more conventional camp, which is what this is, which I think may have even tampered down some of the enthusiasm, last time was this wild ride we got yanked onto that was bizarre. Um, this one is a very sort of straightforward produced event that is going on, uh, since it got signed anyway, and without a hitch. Um, there's no drug test issues. There's, there's nothing. There's no, someone's not going to make weight. This will go forward as normal and it sort of feels constrained a little bit in that regard, um, although maybe, maybe in a good way. But at the end of the day, it's it's just sort of a little more ordinary um, because they can't, it's hard to make everything big so close together. So it's the city, it's the, it's the you know proximity to the most, and they just the what, the two titles have just changed hands, uh, and two pay per view main events back to back. Not to mention all the other craziness that goes around. It's hard to, to maintain that kind of enthusiasm. So again, I don't believe me. I'm not predicting failure by any stretch of the imagination. I think this will be in the end a very successful event. However, scale down to what we were expecting, maybe not as much. Although we'll see. Even if the gate doesn't necessarily reflect or um, you know, online interest at this juncture doesn't reflect necessarily a ton of interest. I think by fight time it will certainly feel like more. Let's see how what, what happens over the next the next three days are so crucial. Right? Like whenever just take my job, for example, it's always an indication the more radio interviews I get asked to do, that tells me the more commercial mainstream interest there ha- has been and i've had a couple of requests here or there but they usually don't even pick up until today tomorrow and friday so let's see how many there are there were a ton for ufc 200 there were a ton for ufc 196 um, maybe it'll pick up we'll see that's always a really good rule for, for me personally that i use which is i wonder if the youtube metric is a reliable one because if you go off youtube views it's going great Free Fight McGregor Diaz has an insane amount of views. The first embedded already has a million. The Bad Blood as well as I believe, but I have no idea how this translates to possible vibes. It is a general rubric for sure. You know, a lot of that can be just the strength of the UFC's YouTube channel. Um, But to your point, let's see. Let me go look at um, what they have here. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, episode three has 309,000 already. Uh, Let's see. So two has 816,000. So one has a million. Bad Blood has 241,000. So the original one half. Let me see if I can find the Free Fight, because that would tell me a lot, actually. I would imagine that the Free Fight has a fairly substantial amount yeah mcgregor diaz has 2.8 million was released a week ago almost 2.9 million really yeah that's pretty significant it may end up being that ultimately at the you know maybe this will end up being one of those brock lesnar kind of phenomenons where you're strong on pay-per-view and weak at the gate you know relatively speaking uh fighting styles someone says main card not worth it prelims look good though considering the price i mean you couldn't have it more backwards the main card is what looks good with a couple of exceptions the prelim card looks bad with a couple of exceptions fighting styles Luke fighters have developed a vast array of fighting styles that have proven to be devastating to their opponents pressure fighters such as velasquez rda quickly close the distance and cause their opponents to wilt by unloading damaging strikes at a high pace out fighters like woodley Cruz, and bisping enjoy keeping the fight at range where they can cut angles and use their footwork to pick apart their opponents counter fighters such as aldo Anderson and Machida take advantage of aggressive fighters by using incredibly well-timed strikes when their opponent over-commits. Okay, question. Even though each style has strengths and weaknesses, which style seems to be the most effective in MMA? Um, that's tough. I would probably argue the outfighters because they're at less risk. Um, but that's a tough one to answer. I'm trying to think back. Yeah, that's, that's generally going to be your outfighter. Now, an outfighter understanding can fight at a variety of ranges or phases, right? They can fight in the clinch if they have to. They can certainly operate well on the ground. So when we call them outfighters, we mean that's where they have their predominant strength, not their exclusive strength. And so to that, that end, probably where your risk is less. I mean, think about just over time what in a sport this chaotic where there is just no margin for error, um, and anything can happen and there's so many ways to win and so many ways to lose to the extent you can limit risk which is what you do on the outside if that's what your natural predilection is um that won't just that won't just limit win uh, losses but it probably limits ko's or other sorts of things C- certainly cannot eliminate them by any stretch of the imagination right but that would probably be my guess but to really answer that, you would have to have some kind of measuring of data. My hunch is that the outside fighter is probably the safest. But even then, this is not, I don't know how relatively safe it would be. True or false, if McGregor can't knock Diaz out within the first two rounds, Diaz will finish him later in the fight. I won't say first two, but maybe first three. Um, it's bizarre that the UFC originally booked... BJ Penn with Dennis Seaver and Cole Miller, but is now fighting Llamas in a five-round main event. I don't think so. I don't think that's bizarre at all. I think they kind of just want to figure out if this is going to be something or it's not going to be something. At first, they were like, well, he's back. We'll build him up, see where we can go. And now I think there's a little bit of patience wearing thin with him. Like, I don't know to be sure, but that's the feeling I get. I mean, it's a significant upgrade in the quality of opposition, is it not? Um, and there's probably a little bit of like, he's not getting any younger. Let's just see if there's something here or not. John Dodson's speed and movement will frustrate Lineker, causing Dodson to win a unanimous decision. Maybe. That's a tough one. The UFC will probably have music artists sing as Connor and Diaz walk out to the octagon to make the event feel more epic. Here's a stupid question. Um,. Luke Thomas thinks Woodley being forced to fight Wonderboy, well, he's not being forced to do anything, is due to the UFC's blatant, outright racist view of black fighters. Well, that's a dumb question. Uh, But just to answer it in a dumb way, sure, that's what you want to think. If you would like to have a uh, juvenile attitude towards us all. Certainly entitled to it. All right, fantasy matchups. Weidman versus Teixeira. Ooh, that is probably Weidman, but that's a tough one. Aldo versus Barboza. Barboza's probably too big. Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi. I might take Duho Choi in that one. Less miles on him. Edgar versus Barrow. Edgar, probably at this point. Bermudez versus Ortega. Bermudez. Yair versus Bechtich. Those are all good fights. Uh. I haven't seen enough from Bechtich, but um, I have a hunch that eventually he might win that. Uh, John Jones saga. What's up, Luke? Maybe it's just me, but I'm super confused when it comes to this John Jones saga. In the most simplistic way, can you please explain to me what in the world is going on? Well, there's a very limited amount of information available. I don't have a whole lot more than what you guys have. In fact, all the stuff I've been told is this point. I don't know if it's dated, but it's certainly not current, right? I mean, Jones put out something on Sunday, and then Dana said something yesterday on Tuesday. I mean, I haven't heard anything in weeks, so I, perhaps there's new information regarding what happened. But um, it seems like there definitely is. But I mean, it's it's really sort of fairly simple, yeah. I mean, if we were to understand Dana White's statements correctly, it is not that Jones didn't ingest these substances in one way or another. Is that he ingested them through a process that would otherwise not necessarily be banned? or in nearly as problematic um, with the usada's protocol or in some ways but perhaps not banned at all and yet it still resulted in this now what is that substance was it some other kind of prescription drug was it some kind of supplement was it something else altogether that makes the situation really confusing because we don't know and if that's the case what is usada going to do i think it will depend on the circumstances greatly and in the case of you romero we know he got six months only after the fact as sort of a you know, we have to have some kind of show of force here. But really, we know that you didn't do anything wrong, ultimately, in, the, in, a, in sort of the grave, troubling sense of what I think some people would consider to be a consequence of PED use. That just wasn't what you thought I could reasonably conclude happened in Romero's case. We don't really know what's going to be here. Was he taking prescription drugs he didn't have a prescription for? Maybe that's it. Was he taking um, some God knows what supplement he got in a foreign country? I don't know. What did he get something at GNC? I don't know. Did he have? I, I don't. I don't know what he ingested. I think that will really determine to what extent um, there's a punishment here. I think Dana White had suggested that you have to tell Usada you everything you're taking. Well, it sounds like he didn't tell them he was taking this because maybe he thought he didn't need to because it wasn't banned. Or there's too many missing pieces of the puzzle. But what there is, it appears is extenuating circumstances um how extenuating is not known also not known is to what extent usada might have a lenient view of this sort of thing where the nevada commission might not i mean you can say one thing about usada they are zealots for anti-doping but they at least have a much more grounded understanding of the science behind some of these um substances they have a much more realistic understanding of how Contamination can affect um, positive tests. You'll recall the gymnast who ingested merely drinking water and tested positive for a banned substance. You saw the ultimate letter go. You had this Chinese fighter who, whose name I Pro- Ning guanju I think. Say so you properly pronounce it, but I don't know. In any event, he had tested positive for clenbuterol. He had eaten from meat. This was a real documented thing that was happening to athletes, not merely in Mexico but in the NFL as well. This is this is a thing. So they have not merely a certain certain scientific literacy relative to the athletic commission, but With that literacy, naturally comes a little bit of humanity, quite frankly. Um, Again, I don't think that extends to all of their policies personally, but in this particular case or in those cases where athletes were exonerated when it was determined that they were merely eating steak or drinking water or various other ones, Yolo Romero, not knowingly taking a supplement uh, with the purpose of taking a banned substance, that humanity followed the literacy. The commission is very much a wild card. I think we can all agree. I don't really know what they're going to do. They may follow in USADA's footsteps, but there's also this gamesmanship and semi-rivalry that that Nevada Commission has. They're very um, sensitive to how everyone understands the power structure there. You know, USADA is the one that's getting credited with all of these anti-doping developments, whether they're real or perceived. No one's really crediting the Nevada Commission. No one is really making them sort of the the bastion of importance as it relates to not really anti doping, but regulation generally that they once were. You know, this of, the UFC is pushing earlier weigh ins and so forth. Um, so I think they try to assert themselves in ways where they don't necessarily need to. I don't I don't know if Jones has any information from USADA or um, the Commission to indicate that he's going to have smooth sailing so there's a lot of unknowns about this i think just of a general view about this is like jones sagas i mentioned this at the outset i don't know where they begin and end anymore because he certainly had this reckless driving jesus situation where um he agreed to take a, a aggressive driver's course to mitigate so it wouldn't be a violation of his probation of course we already know about his various indiscretions behind the wheel and then we have these issues related to now, uh, in competition performance or, you know, I know it was out of competition test, but, you know, driving and hitting a pregnant woman while reprehensible is not related to any kind of octagon related matters. even if it's out of competition testing that Jones may have popped for is nevertheless in, in, um, course of a training camp. Right. So, um, so now he's got those issues compounded. I mean, it's a mess for him still. I don't, I, I you know. I don't know what's going to happen, but, um, someone had a radio, uh, caller asked me the other day, like, you know, why do we want to have this Boy Scout view of John Jones? And I really don't. And I've been saying this for a long time. And I think some of you guys have been this way as well, too. It's like, geez, man, I just don't, I I haven't cared for a while, but like, I really don't care now. It's not my life to live. And I don't know that any kind of pressure we put on him is ever going to matter. Only the. Institutions that can directly affect his ability to be John Jones seem to have that effect. And even then, it's not all that strong, right? The justice system, um, you know, regulatory bodies hired by the UFC. Um, and so the saga just never seems to end. But, like, the point I made was not really that do I just not care anymore. Like, it's not I'm expecting – I'm not expecting him to, like, be – something else i can he just get through a camp normally that's all i really ask anymore it's like just don't go to jail can you not be in cuffs three weeks two weeks whatever it was before your fight can you not can you not make headlines for anything other than you went and did a press event and then you went over to a workout and then you made a weight and then you fought and then you went to the post-fight press conference and then you went home Like, can we just not can we just do that uh and even that is fraught with its own kind of peril for statements jones has made and probably will make in the future but i'll take that any day over the week versus you know is it am i being too onerous as an observer in asking for like just get through one camp fight event and like that's my own that's my only ask if that's too much, then I don't know where you go from there, you know? So we'll see how this whole thing plays out and what information we can glean as we move forward. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. There's just a lot of missing pieces. There's enough to suggest that there could be mitigating circumstances, but even that is so expansive that it's hard to really parse and understand. Man, like John Jones, like it's just such a tremendous overlap of one problem to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. It's, it's substantial. By the way, Nate says he woke up at 176, 177 on the day of this interview, and this was oh, he was 182, 183 last week. So on BT Sport, no real question, but I kind of understand Nate's frustration in this interview with UFC media making him out to be a welterweight. Yeah, and I saw some people being like, oh, he's 200 pounds. I'm like, I've seen Nate Diaz in person a number of times, not in camp. I'm sure staying physically fit and active, there, he would have to majorly bulk up. To look or just get fat to look like 200 pounds not possible i mean possible but whenever i've seen him he's trim he's he's lean it's the, no in his body frame he it would take a lot for him to be 200 pounds and trust me he is not 200 pounds but i can also see uh if you go back and i think was it the f- second episode of embedded one of diaz's coaches remarking that getting to 155 is doable and holding it is doable but ultimately it's a very very difficult process that To the extent you can remove the need for your body screaming to get out of that space and get back to a healthier balance, the more you can sort of focus on everything else around you. So um, good that we're having a fight where there's not a lot of weight cutting going on. Nice to see, I suppose. Fighter pay and contracts. Luke, do you have any insight on how a fighter's pay is layered contractually? I remember a reporter, can't remember who, said that most of McGregor's rumored $10 earnings for UFC 196 was paid up front. We only know of the $1 disclosed purse that he got and assume that the rest would have been made through pay-per-view points. If that were the case, it means he would have made $6 $6 per -per pay-per-view buy. It doesn't work that way. That seems a little low to me considering how much of a draw he is. P.S. I was the guy who asked about the UFC's popularity in England for a week. Now there has been an article in the Daily Mail sports section about Bisping's title defense being in Manchester. It currently only has three comments. Not sure exactly what that means, but certainly doesn't sound like there's a lot of enthusiasm. Um, So it doesn't work you don't get a dollar or six dollars per pay-per-view point it's a tiered system typically um contracts that we've seen be it um mandy couture's or eddie alvarez to show a tiered system that there's a certain a dollar amount you get for up to say 250 or three hundred fifty thousand pay pay-per-view buys then more to four 450 then more to five 550 to seven to nine to a million and so forth i think over a million it doesn't necessarily go up Um, but again everyone's contract could be different so it's a tiered system so if you can the more you can push into the upper bound limits the more revenue there is to generate per -per pay-per-view buy for yourself um but mcgregor McGregor might have a different deal where um he gets paid in a different structure look here's the deal about this mma journalists try to talk about all the time and the best information that we have and we get told a lot of stuff off the record but as a general sweeping view of ufc contracts um they probably mostly work the same for the majority of the rank and file. But as it gets to the upper tier of guys, top five champions, big time stars, there might be considerable variance in how people get paid, whether it's up front after the fact, how much they declare to commissions, how much they don't. If the tiered system works relatively similar to the next guy, maybe they have a different tiered system, maybe they have a similar tier structure where it's 250, 350, 450, but each uh, share is higher per per um, bracket. Um, th- these are these are largely unknowns. You know, a lot of MMA journalists want to talk very confidently about these kinds of things, and there is, of course, we do have some information out there that is, that is reliable, but as a grand view, when you ask about fighters, it's really hard to say, because I think most of this information is missing, or at least kept, you know, secretive. Like, I've had fighters share information with me and other journalists about various things over the course of their career, injuries, money, and everything else, but it's not... Um, unless you're sort of in the middle slash bottom of the rank and file, I should say, unless you're outside of that, if you're in that space, you, most of those contracts look pretty similar. But outside of that, I, I believe that there's a reason to believe that there is a high degree of customization involved. From what we know from Couture and Alvarez and others, that tiered system works though. And of course, an upfront, um, there is always an upfront disclosed amount too. Their viewpoints are a bonus. Um, UFC sale, buyer's remorse. A hot topic in MMA has been to debate whether the new UFC owners regret purchasing the UFC or regret their valuation of the business in light of recent developments in the sport. Has that been a hot topic? It seems like a lot of just discussion. Like uh, like there's no evidence of it. John Jones, PED, Bust Union Talk, etc. Is it safe to assume that negotiations on this M&A deal would have been commenced several months in advance of when the sale was completed? Yes, bidders would have negotiated a deal and made their valuations of the business not knowing about the latest USADA union news. Hard to see that as true, um, especially since some of the guys involved have been with the UFC through a number of their growth periods and challenges and know the UFC really well. Ari Emanuel, I can't imagine, is unaware of Ali Act being put forth by Representative Mark Wayne Mullen. I, I can't imagine he doesn't know that in every other sports deal, doping is alongside wage compensation and um, other forms of insurance a point of negotiation always and every time. I, I, I can't imagine this would be news to him. Certainly, I can't imagine any kind of internal frustration they have with union talk wouldn't bleed over to him. It would be very, very, very surprising for me to learn that. I don't think Ari Emanuel is a dumb guy by any stretch of the imagination. He seems quite adept and uh, knowledgeable, and certainly highly successful. That that would shock me, but there probably are some. You know, I think there is one challengeable premise to what they're arguing, which is when the new TV deal is up, so 2018, um, that they're going to get annually 400 million a year in their TV contracts. That certainly may end up true. It may end up being more than that. Maybe it's 500 million, or maybe it's less. Um, you know we'll see what the tv space is and what kind of money um rights groups have for that kind of you know licensing fees i i don't and the rights to use them i don't know i don't i don't know that that to me is a bit of a gamble it could be true i don't, I am certainly not tell you it's not going to be true but it's not so obvious that you could say well it's definitely going to happen yeah it might happen um so it's not to say that they didn't take risks but And, you know, there's Reebok out there who made this deal, but that deal was put together hastily where they just didn't know the space at all and they could not have fumbled more um, out of the gate. I don't, I think we're kind of affected and jaundiced by that experience where Reebok was like happy to do business in MMA. But what it really showed was that Reebok was happy to get into a space that they, that no, that no relatively major brand had gotten into, even if they were getting into something they had no idea how it worked. Um, virtually no relationship to its athletes. You know, some, they had done some deals with Rampage and some other fighters over the years, but those were all for pulling MMA fighters out of it into another line of, um, you know, let, let's get Chuck Liddell to promote our new zigzag sneakers or whatever the hell those ho- horrific things were. That's not the same as sort of investing in the space and we're going to make shorts and we're going to make women's fight bras and we're going to make everything, um, you know, spats and the whole nine. It's a much more complete process and fighter fan t-shirts and hoodies. And, you know, this is a much greater endeavor and they had no, they had no knowledge of that space and they didn't realize how critical that was needed to be. And they paid the price for it pretty substantially. Um, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that that kind of ineptitude um, and self-assuredness is on play and in, and in, and, and a part of what's going on here that isn't to say they didn't make strategic mistakes potentially but if they did they were much more calculated and with you know I, th- these aren't low information voters to put it in political terms these are not low information voters voters can make right or wrong choices about who they elect to govern them but um even high information ones but these are high information voters these are opinion leaders Everyone's got one. Luke, what's your weird fantasy that you regret thinking about after you're done busting? This guy asks this question every week, and I I don't know what is wrong with you, sir. You need some help. Uh, weight cutting. Luke, we saw the cyborg clip on the website last week of her crying during a weight cut. Are you able to explain what these fighters go through when they cut weight and how it feels? Someone goes, it was fake cyborg looking for sympathy and still reaping the benefits of anabolic steroids. Well, that is a gentleman whose opinion you do not need to take seriously under any circumstance whatsoever. Um, so never cut weight. So the best person to ask would be a fighter, but I've seen it up close. It is a horrible experience for many of them. Uh, discomfort would be a minimum. I mean, look, it's just basically severe dehydration. So you can imagine fatigue, um, uh, lack of clarity of thought. Um, irritability uh i mean you can go on from there right and there can be a lot more physical consequences than that in terms of you know affecting um heart's ability to function and pain from organs drained and yeah it can be it can be wretched organ pain is always fun right um diaz's cardio there's been plenty of discussion about Connor's cardio or lack thereof and almost no discussion about Nate's cardio and pace going into this fight. This is particularly interesting to me because I think we can reasonably expect even better cardio from Diaz uh, and no need for him to pace himself like he claims he did in the first fight. So the question for me is how likely is it that Connor has developed the cardio necessary to effectively implement the skills of our five-round fight? How likely is it? Against the pace and cardio of a fight of shape, Nate Diaz. I say it's fairly likely, pretty likely, maybe. Which um, is, guys, before like there's the most he's ever gone. Let's pull up just to be sure, just to be on the safe side. I know he's gone three rounds one time, and that was against Max Holloway from Lucan. Where is Lucan? And part of Dublin. Uh, Okay. So let's see. Nate Diaz, less than two rounds. Aldo, one round, obviously. Mendez, less than two rounds, but just barely. Dennis Seaver, less than two rounds. Dustin Poirier, one round. Diego Brandau, one round. Max Holloway, three rounds to decision. Marcus Brimage, one round. Uh, Then we go down to Cage Warriors. Ivan Buchinger, however you pronounce it properly, one round. Dave Hill, two rounds. Steve O'Keefe, one round. Aaron uh, Jansen, one round, Artur Sovinsky, two rounds, Patty Doherty, <clears throat> a four second fight. Um, one round, obviously, Mikey Wood, one round, Hugh Brady, one round, Joseph Duffy loses that fight, one round, Connor Dillon, one round, Stephen Bailey, one round, uh, Artemidge, uh, Satankov, who is like this, uh, he's like the Mazakazu Imanari of Europe. Uh, one round. He loses that fight, McGregor does. Mo Taylor, one round, and then Gary Morris in his, US, or his MMA debut, two rounds. He's only ever gone three rounds one time. Uh, we never even seen him in the fourth and fifth rounds. That is not in any way to suggest that he can't do that. It is to suggest, however, that we know Nate can. Nate's cardio, even on 10 days notice, is superb. The guy's never really out of shape. He might be in you know, fine-tuned shape come the end of a fight camp, but it's pretty much a lifestyle for him. He has the genetics to make that kind of thing work, or it doesn't. You know the workload he can handle, and, hurt. um so look, I would say that there is a reason to have some level of suspicion and skepticism about McGregor over the course of five rounds. Not the kind of skepticism that you know should be overly negative, uh, but if you've never even been to a fourth round, certainly not a fifth and you've only been to a third round one time that tells us that you're a highly offensive, talented fighter, no doubt about it, but that there could be some questions raised about one's ability to go that long. If you don't routinely have to go there, you know, we, we know Max Holloway can go there. Three rounds to him is nothing. Um, We've seen him do significantly more than that. So there's, you know, there's evidence of it. Um, I'm not here to tell you to change your pick one way or the other. if you don't think this would be an issue, then fine. That we don't have like this verifiable evidence that he terribly gases every time. Um, but we also just don't, you know, he has gassed in weird circumstances. Um, you know, he wasn't all together there all that great at 189. Um, and maybe he, there's reason to believe he was sick before 196 now. Um, so, you know, he, he hasn't looked like he had a, you know, a ton of energy in those circumstances, but, um, it's just an unknown, and I think that unknown should give you at least a little bit of pause, a little bit. If he goes five rounds and looks great over the course of five rounds, then you say, okay, well, now we have evidence, and we can say with a reasonable amount of you know, certainty that um, he can do it. Someone says, we can expect Diaz will have better cardio than his opponent, no matter who they are. Right, and the other thing about Diaz is not really that he has this excellent cardio, but he has a fighting style that accommodates his cardio, like some guys have a strategy where if they pace themselves their cardio which would already be good would be even better but they like to just floor it on the gas tank and they don't necessarily crash but their belief is i'm going to run this engine as hard as it can for the amount of time that i'm in there diaz has this tank full of gas but doesn't doesn't drag race until he sees an opportunity to do so the rest of the time he's sort of just moving at a pace where He's keeping everything kind of calm and natural, and and to borrow from Artem Lobov, flowy, right? So he doesn't he doesn't call upon his resources so heavily unless it's really required, and those circumstances don't either last that long or come around that often, or you know they end up in a a finish uh, a lot, or you know a a, a devastating lead or something like that. Um, So, so yeah, Uh, I, I also think that it's not merely that Nate, if you want to really push it. Couldn't do it. I think he could. But all I mean to say is it's one thing to have great cardio. It's another thing to have the kind of style that will always make sure your great cardio is basically never compromised. Uh what's next for Nate Diaz Nick Diaz? Excuse me. I know we all want to see him versus Robbie Lawler, but with Woodley, excuse me, but with Wonder Boy fighting Woodley. I mean, he's not yet, but we'll see if that happens. It seems like the UFC might angle for GSP versus Diaz, too. This seems like an absolute absolutely terrible idea. Uh, What other routes do you think they are considering for him? Someone says Diaz versus Sonnen was a rumor. Sonnen versus Kennedy is another rumor. Um, I don't like the Sonnen fight for the same reason I like the GSP fight. I mean, Sonnen's a little more um, susceptible to submissions than GSP, but... uh, Sorry. Right. That's right. Sonnen's a little more susceptible if we're in, talking about Nick Diaz as guard or something like that, but um, I, that doesn't interest me very much. I don't. I, you want to put him off against another striker of sorts, you know? Um, you know, a Matt Brown type would be kind of awesome. I don't think that would be the big money fight necessarily, but that would be a freaking awesome fight. I like the Lawler fight. I'm not sure why Nick doesn't. I guess he's you know he wants to fight a big name, but. Um, we'll see what happens i i as the stream has died shouldn't looks live to me isn't the stream still alive no still alive hey. alvarez versus Nurmagomedov. Gamadov. does alvarez have what it takes to beat habib in a five round fight Is his wrestling good enough to scramble and look for submissions and transitions, or can he clinch break enough to win the stand-up in a decision? Yeah, Eddie Alvarez had an interesting quote the other day where he said, wrestling is a great tool to use in two, at most, three rounds of a five-round fight. If you call upon it for more than that, it will fail you. Now, you can break that up where you do three up front, three at the end, one in one round, one in the third round, one in the fifth. You can vary it up. You can do a half a round each round where you're wrestling, but you can only really have two to three rounds in you in terms of time to wrestle. That's really about it. And you have to supplement it against the very best anyway. And um, and you have to supplement it with something else. So the question that you'd have to ask yourself with Alvarez versus Habib, if that kind of thinking is true, and I'm inclined to believe that it mostly is, that could Alvarez survive two and a half rounds with Habib, who is not a strong finisher, who and by his own... You know, doing you can see Alvarez is a talented wrestler in his own regard. Because on the feet, I think we would both agree Alvarez is way too much for Habib. Um, would he be broken down by that point where he wouldn't have anything left? Um, it's a very open question. This is a fight I want to see. You know, Alvarez versus Habib. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do if they're going to give Alvarez the winner of McGregor versus Diaz. But uh, if they don't, that Habib fight is intriguing because that 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 lingering. Gleason t fight and the lack of five-round fights in Habib's career, same you know, um, or you know, going more than uh, three rounds in Habib's career is is uh, an important note. Um, let me see how many he's gone. I don't think he's gone hardly any. Just like with Connor, if someone's never done it. Um, there's an open question. Let's see. He has never done it. Most he's ever gone is three. He's gone three. One, two, three, four. Went to the third in the fifth. Five times. Five times he's gone to the third round and then finished it, uh, four times finished out to a decision. So you can see, um, there's an open question about can he really do that for two more rounds? If if Alvarez's theory is correct, then probably not. You know, probably not. Um, that's why this fight needs to get made. That gleason Tebow fight sort of hanging over Nurmagomedov's career where if you couldn't get the takedown, he was a little bit lost. And someone like Alvarez, who has good takedown defense, has gone the distance before against very tough guys. It's, It's an important fight for both guys' careers, if you ask me. I'll say this. Inside of three rounds, Nurmagomedov is going to be hard to beat. Beyond that, I don't know. This being rolling the dice. What if Michael Bisping loses to Dan Henderson? What does this do to his career? Uh, it'd be bad, but the fact that he already won the title and what he means for England—you um, know—I think we need to have some conversations about the limits of that. I don't, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know what kind of rallying around Bisping Manchester's going to do. Maybe it's a lot. I don't, I don't know, but I think it's an open question. Again, I don't think he's nearly on the same level as Ricky Hatton, but. Um, you know, the fact that he won the title in the way he did against – I mean, he's had a lot of nemeses. Now, Henderson might be the chief among them, but wasn't like he and Luke Rockhold didn't have some unfinished business or, you know, ugly business between them, and they still do. Uh, and, you know, being winning the title is pretty amazing. The fact that he couldn't hold on to it I don't think would look all that great. But, yeah, sure, it would be damaging to him that he couldn't beat Dan Henderson. But I think once he won that title, even if he lost it right away, to be honest, um, he sort of cemented his place in, in all-time MMA glory. Right now, he's just beaten the greatest of all time, Anderson Silva, former title challenger Talos Lites, and the current, and though at the at the time current champion Luke Rockhold. With another win over someone like Weidman, Sosa, or Romero, he's possibly up there in the discussion of all time great middleweights. I might I might agree I might agree with that. I'm thinking about that a little bit more. But certainly that would be pretty tremendous. But if he loses, he just lost to a then 46 year old Dan Henderson, who has won three of his last nine fights. Is the risk he puts himself in in taking that fight worth the potential downside for his legacy if he somehow were to lose? Um, Oh, maybe we did lose it so the stream is good okay it's a good question it's a good question I would argue that um, I like the way you asked the question because what you said is is the risk he puts himself in in taking that fight worth the potential downside for the legacy if he somehow were to lose so the question I think is worded appropriately because what you're arguing is, is it worth the risk? In other words, I am acknowledging the person asking this question that there is a measure of risk to this. The question is, is it so great that it's worth stepping back from? I would argue not. Um, if his, his other choices are to take on Luke Rockhold again, or Romero, or Jacare, uh, you know, do how much do you like his chances? Maybe against. Rockhold, depending on your perspective, but even then I think there are some people who would think that Rockhold would win uh, a, a third meeting between the two um, or fourth if you want to count the sparring session. And certainly I think there's a lot of people who think that, especially in the case of, say, Jacare, that, um, you know, they would heavily favor Jacare to win, right? So if that's the case, you wouldn't make as much money as you would fighting Dan Henderson. Um, the risk would be even greater and it would be done with less novel circumstances. I mean, he is fighting and defending his title in Manchester at 4 or 5 in the morning. That is unusual and, to me, punishing for the fan base, but nevertheless, unusual, right? These are crazy career moments that you're going to have in your career that you just wouldn't necessarily get. There is some kind of magic to it. It is also a chance to get some significant revenge, right? We're all talking about what happens if Michael Bisping loses, but part of that risk is also the reward. Yes, this risk is if you lose, you lost to the same guy twice, you lost to a guy who's three out of his last nine, who this was his retirement fight, who just got the better of you every time. He just had your number. Um, That would be bad. That would certainly not be good. But the risk is the, the, the reward potentially for accepting that risk is, number one, I I would make more money fighting this guy even if I lose in these novel circumstances, even if I lose. And then you consider, well, what if I win? Well, if I win, I beat the guy who had this brutally awful knockout over me who has been something of an antagonist who used his own likeness in punishing Bisping to create his own logo uh, and imaging. Um, You get some revenge on that guy and you get to do it on these unusual circumstances. That reward is tremendous. If you beat Jacare... You know, you get the respect that comes with beating a guy as good as Jacare. Okay, fair enough. You don't get that with Dan Henderson. But Dan Henderson, you know, guys go from this territory where they're like, okay, this guy is really good to, okay, he's dangerous. Dangerous is different than really good. Someone like Jacare is really good, which means this guy can box you out on the feet. He's got tremendous takedowns. Obviously, on the ground, he is a nightmare. He's There's no real comfortable space against him for the most part. Um Against Dan Henderson, dangerous is like there's these few certain things you got to look out for and they may be really bad, but there's not this comprehensive danger in the same way. That's where Dan Henderson is now. I think if you could take someone, you could say, this guy's dangerous, but he's a hated rival, unusual circumstances, you make more money, uh, and if you beat him, boy, look at the reward of that. I mean, you know, virtue is its own reward and the virtue of being a guy who took on the toughest challengers all the time and beat them. Certainly, I will never talk uh, badly about that kind of endeavor, but um, the way in which you pitch the question is the existing risk worth all that? I can very much understand why this being made that calculation. That's a very different question about whether that fight should be made given the hierarchy. But get the idea, Jones in his future. You hinted that you had some info that Jones might get a year suspension. Any further update to that? No, I have not had any. Further. What you guys heard publicly, video from White is, an up, is the only update I've ever heard. Um, so maybe I'll get some information today, but uh a couple calls I gotta make, but um but no. Not, not 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 at this moment that I speak to you right now. Uh on the Jones doping issue. According to White, Jones's people have come forward with a supplement that Jones did not report to USADA claiming it was tainted. I don't know that he said it was a supplement. I mean he did say it once, but then he said it was a drug later. So I don't know what, which one it is. Is that what they are saying now saying? It's unclear. If so, are we supposed to buy that nonsense? That seems extremely suspect. You are allowed to believe and not believe whatever you like, but you guys are the ones who have this full faith in USADA to do this job effectively. I I would imagine that if they have some news that they can verify this. Again, whenever whenever these guys claim that, hey, my supplement is tainted, they don't just go to the thing in which, like if I say my creatine is tainted, if I say, okay, I drink a Coke Zero and the Coke Zero is tainted, uh, in the case of the Coke Zero, I don't know if it would work differently, but certainly let's imagine this is not Coke Zero. Let's imagine this is a bottle of uh, branch chain amino acids, BCAAs, and I'm like, hey, I bought this at GNC and I tested positive for whatever. They're they're not just going to look at your bottle and be like, yeah, we found it in your bottle. You, you sure were right. They're going to test a bunch of those bottles, not really at that store, but they're going to buy their own supply of them to see if there is this verifiable degree of contamination in the product generally. Um, if that is not a requisite amount of um, proof for you, and of course I can envision circumstances where that necessarily wouldn't be, you know. Certainly, we've already seen state apparatus in Russia working in concert with one another to have this mass scale, um, aversion of uh, and you know undercutting of anti-doping as a program generally, not merely testing, um then yeah i guess you can believe that but that's i think for most people and rational observers a relatively strong degree of evidence and this is not i know everyone looks at it like the dog ate my homework sorry guys it's really not this is a terribly unregulated industry and you guys can see this like um i was looking this up uh the other day i went on you can go on ufc's usada uh, website and um they have a list of all the supplements it's called like supplement 411 um I'm not sure the exact name of the website but you can find it pretty easily they list all these substances for you they list them all the list is not small it's super long <laughs> it's super long and some of these labs you've heard of there were a couple of items from celtech uh, that were on there you know uh, there was a um, uh, isotori one but a lot of them are you know rock hard industries or anabolic Inc. or you know these sort of uh, you can imagine it's just some guy who Um, you know, lifts weights in his garage and maybe won a scratch off ticket and now wants to use the fifty grand he got from that to sell creatine or something. I I don't know. You can imagine these are some fairly lowbrow operations, but the list of items that you can buy over the counter legally that contain things that the labels don't say they contain is quite long i i i'm not exactly sure why you guys are suspect about that other than to say it seems implausible given what jones popped for and that these are you know pharmaceutical grade prescribed medicines so maybe it's not a supplement i don't know but as long as we're talking about the supplement issue um contamination is a process that i don't is or is a is an issue that is not going away anytime soon Barbas is around here somewhere oh he's sleeping on the couch I'm saying they shouldn't accept a tainted supplement that was never reported before the failed test. Well, I, I'm not sure I understand the problem here. If you're taking a supplement that's not banned, let's say that's what it is. You're taking a supplement that's not banned, um, and you take it, and like the thing Yoel Romero took wasn't on the list. They had to add it to the list as a consequence of what happened to him. If what you're taking is not on the list and what you're taking has nothing in the ingredients list that's not on the list, I mean, I I, I suppose there's a reason to list it, like you are ingesting it, but they're just going to look at it and they're going to say, okay, well, that's fine because this is not high risk. It's nothing we've ever encountered before that we have any experience that results in this. Um, So that necessarily wouldn't help. Someone says, come on, Luke, the industry might not be regulated, but surely what John was putting in his body was, or at least pretended it was. Could you could be right? I don't I don't know, I don't know. But would we need to see? But you're saying it's the only problem I have with some of this stuff is like, for example, this person says, "Come on, Luke, the industry might not be regulated. It's regulated a little bit, not much, but surely what John was putting in his body was regulated, or at least pretended it was regulated. That might be true, but that doesn't like you guys are asserting like it is manifestly obvious that." Um, this kind of thing can not happen. And certainly I am suspect, just like you guys were. Like if this were something like it was DHEA in a system or, you know, I don't know, something that happened relatively similar to what Ural Romero went through, it'd be a little bit easier to understand. But the stuff he was taking was this pharmaceutical grade stuff that um, you know, it I'm not saying it couldn't get in your body by non-nefarious means, but it would re it would require something unusual. I, I haven't heard the evidence, <laughs> and neither of you. Uh, maybe we should. And if the evidence winds up being terrible, then we'll say so. But Dana White's out there saying it's looking good for him. John Jones is out there saying, like, quite confidently it's looking good for them. This is not evidence by itself to believe them, but certainly the, uh, you know, the public declaration of this, uh, should carry at least some suspension of suspicion just long enough to wait for the evidence to roll in nothing more than that. But you guys are like, oh, it's manifestly bull bull crap. It might be. I'm not in a position to tell you it's not. I have no idea what the evidence is, but that's my point. I have no idea what the evidence is. That works both ways. It should at once make you a little bit suspicious, but just suspicious enough to say, "Um, I'm skeptical generally of this claim, but before I can really reasonably conclude anything, I have to evaluate the existing evidence. And of that, we don't we don't have so. I, I don't, I, I don't know what else to say. And to the extent it's a supplement issue, um, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised by this stuff. That list is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. There's going to be new companies, new drugs, new ways of making these things. Um, and to the extent that the FDA doesn't really change the way they, which they do things, which is um, cops and robbers after the fact manufacturing standards in the present. This will be an ongoing problem It's not going to go away. Evans versus Kennedy. What do you think about Rashad dropping to middleweight in his mid thirties? Are his chances, what are his chances in his fight? Well, he didn't look good at light heavyweight. So I don't know, you know, look, we've been talking a long time that if you drop to middleweight, this would be to his advantage. He has speed that can carry over to that weight class. He'd be strong for that weight class. you know, if he can dive down and get there without too much trouble, this could be advantageous for him. Uh, and I think it might be one of the situations where he hasn't done it yet. Uh, where, you know, before his career ends, to really make sure that he does that, to say, you know, I, I, he doesn't want to be here three years from now where he's long since retired and said, oh, why didn't that... Why, why didn't I go to middleweight when I had a chance? So there's, there's an opportunity present here to at least cross the T and dot the I and say, okay, now I know. Now Maybe even he'll say, well, I should have done it a long time ago, but at least I'll have done it. And there's probably something to be said for that. Plus, there's just really no path forward for him at uh, at uh, Light Heavyweight now, especially with Rumble Johnson being up there at the top. So, Ben talked about some huge announcements the next three months on the herd. Any predictions? None fighters unions what is your take on the two competing groups looking to organize fighters into a unified bargaining group while it is undoubtedly good for fighters if one or other succeed what kind of effect do you think it will have on the quality of fights cards organizations will be able to put on it's a great great question a couple of uh points to note here um i had lucas middlebrook on my radio show you'll recall jeff boris was on aerials lucas middlebrook was on mine the same day um and both of those guys are the two of the bigger founding members of the Professional Fighters Association. One of the critical differences between the two is that I took uh, notes on this because I wanted to make sure I got the name right. Um, yeah. So one of the difference between the two is the Professional Fighters Association is trying to become a certified labor organization right? That is what they want to be. To my knowledge, the MMAFA does not have any designs on that. And in fact, the MMAFA cannot have designs on that. And something that is called the non-statutory labor exemption uh, from the Sherman Act in the bargaining process. What that basically means is you'll note that the MMAFA is uh, at least in part behind or at least supporting the cause of these fighters suing the Ultimate Fighting Championship in a class action lawsuit. Um, If you go into a position where you are a union um collectively bargaining uh, with um uh, management or the employer you are not allowed to then take that person to court under the sherman act it would actually prevent it and so that's what the two organizations i mean there are more differences than that to be sure but that's a big one what the professional fighters association believes is that we should become a certified labor organization we should represent the rights of these athletes current and then um you know to the extent we can get any sort of retirement or I don't know if a pension fund is possible, but some kind of either health care or services for uh, those who have since passed. Um, um, they believe that in the long run, it's better to have a league, which essentially enshrines them as a monopoly when you do this. Like if, if it were to be the case that you had a union and the union had a collective bargaining agreement that they hatched out with the UFC, this would enshrine more or less um, I mean not in any kind of legal way I don't believe um, the UFC is a monopoly, but uh, they couldn't be they couldn't be sued anymore. However, the PFA's position as I understand it is that in the long run, this collective bargaining process is much better um, for the fighters and really the UFC and the customer fan base because you have these ongoing over time, right they send a CBA for let's say five years or something in five years time, they hatch out a new CBA now, there are these concerns you have that, well, what if they can't hatch it out? Is there gonna be a labor dispute? Is the product gonna come to a screeching halt? All of these things are relevant concerns, but as you've seen, you take someone to court one time, you better cash out then, because if you don't, you can't keep cashing out. Um, With the CBA, there is this ongoing revision of progress. Now some, of course, associations are stronger than others, um, but you get the idea. So that's one of the major differences between these two groups um and you know mmafa has been around i've uh, done a lot of good i'm wise but they have their own set of interests and pfa has a different one um that's that's what i would be paying attention to is who is going to win out here the organization that wants to essentially enshrine the ufc as the de facto monopoly but be in a position where they are intermittently able to gain concessions from them um with the full force of a Collectively organized body of fighters, or the one taking them to court. I, I, you can make your own choice about which one sounds more plausible to you. That's just the PFA's point of view in, in one regard. The other one that to to folks have been asking is, well, what about Bellator and World Series of Fighting fighters? As I understand it, well, what would happen is the biggest goal right now up front is for uh, UFC unionization, um, if that is possible, for the for, you know to represent UFC fighters with a collective bargaining agreement opposite management. Yeah. What they said was like they wouldn't discount the ability to do that for Bellator World Series of Fighting. It would just mean that if you're a Bellator fighter and they were able to work that out, there'd be one collective bargaining agreement for UFC fighters with UFC. There'd be another different collective bargaining agreement for Bellator fighters with Bellator. There potentially could be another union uh, collective bargaining agreement for world series of fighting fighters with world series of fighting and they would all be in the pfa uh and the pfa would still coordinate all these collective bargaining agreements but you'd be under different ones depending on which organization you were in there each each organization would have its own collective bargaining agreement with the union that would be uh, a different scenario they could go so we'll see franchising is the next logical step for new owners hi luke the new ownership bought the ufc with obvious expectations to expand in some form to have high return on investment and increased annual profit i see franchising as the next logical step i don't what are your thoughts on this how long until i can see the fighting fills take on the boston brawlers and the washington warriors how i see this working out one cut everyone outside the top 12 or 15 two Replace frequent shows, fight nights with the UFC Team League. They'll they'll never do this. Three, improve main UFC cards with more concentrated talent for the remaining roster. Four, bring in non MMA fans with local and cultural ties in the same manner as NFL, MLB, MLS, etc. No, they'll never they'll never do that. There's no demand for this. This is a reorganization of the product into a way that doesn't make sense for the needs of the promoter and frankly the fan base. Um... They want it local, but not in this kind of ham fisted way. Uh, This is star driven and location is a component of that, but not a driving one. This would reduce overall ability to oversee operations. This wouldn't make leadership as linear like there's no way they'll do that. There's no way they'll do that. Can you touch base on the rather large amount of Connor articles being pumped out? What are your thoughts on this bias narrative? I don't know that there is a bias narrative. Hope it makes sense. English is a second language. No, like, I mean, guys, this is not hard to understand, right? Uh, Connor's going to get more press because he's Connor. I think you would all agree with that, right? GQ did a piece on Connor um, yesterday. So he's naturally going to get more. Um, but it's more than that. The guy goes out and does says the more interesting things on a conference call. That gets written up, right? Even if I don't I don't care about his WWE feud, but certainly you can gather that a lot of people do for one reason or another. And then he goes out and he stages a very long Q&A where he not only talks about fighters' unions and Mayweather and how Nate Diaz is Homer Simpson, but Cristiano Ronaldo signing a new deal with Real Madrid. This made news, by the way. I'm not making that up. In the Real Madrid world, this was reported widely um, and any number of other topics that he touched over and over and over and over again, and then did this long workout. So you ask, well, what do you get from that? I mean, let me just tell you how the media ecosystem works. If you are a radio station and you are trying to either put stuff on your website or gain radio clips to play on the air, you had plenty to do that. If you are a local news station or any kind of site like ours, mid-major ones, you're filming this and putting it on a youtube channel or facebook whatever the case you have tons of material to work with if you send a reporter and you're trying to get the most interesting things he says you have an enormous amount of information to collect in other words are there more articles about conor mcgregor of course conor mcgregor has made himself infinitely more available than nate diaz and maybe that's strategic maybe nate diaz is purposely making himself as available as he needs to be to be in keeping with his contract but not necessarily interested in going out and doing a ton of interviews. You know, I've reached out to him a number of times for interviews. You don't ever, ever hear back. He follows me on Twitter. Um, I don't expect that he's too interested in doing a whole lot, right? He likes to keep it relatively under control. Um, Connor likes to get out there and promote. You know, that's a, a credit to him. Yeoman's work. But if you're asking why there's a disparity, there's a natural disparity because there's a complete disparity in who has made themselves available, not merely for our type of media, for every type of media. It does not matter how you consume media. Do you consume it on your phone via Snapchat? Do you consume it by listening to the radio? Do you consume it by reading articles? Do you consume it by watching TV shows? How do you consume it? Connor has given you more at every stage of the, of the media cycle and at every different type of media environment and every different type of media outlet. When you begin to take inventory of that, it should make sense that he's on there more. He's simply done more out there. It's just a volume and type issue. Nate Diaz hasn't. And if he did, if Nate Diaz had a Stockton workout, we have a team to go up there. We've got Esther, Casey, Mark Ramundi all in LA, Dave Doyle, all in LA. They could, they would go to Stockton like that, like that. He didn't do one. Uh, he didn't do a Q&A for an hour or more. Um, so he gets less. That's That's just how it goes. it's in born with the cia give high profile positions to people born and raised in another country than the u.s i'm talking about the cutie that was bossed around by tommy lee jones and the old french hitman their accents are so thick that they're clearly not born and raised on home soil please rant i had people who like told me after the fact like you know what i kind of like that movie it's like delete me from your phone forever forget you know me like if you like that movie Your name on the roll call of people whose judgment about movies I can trust is off forever. You are off that list forever. It is not possible to find redeeming value in that other than something to bring your howler monkey to so he can take a dump in his mitt and chuck it at the screen uh, for amusement. That is literally its only redeeming value as a target of howler monkey feces. (laughs) That's the only circumstance by which I will accept that you went and saw that movie. Anything other than that is your admission that your taste in cinema is so suspect that you cannot be taken seriously ever again. UFC helping Leslie Smith with her tumor all of a sudden. Can they be more obvious? Watching good press, helping a spokesperson for the union. Right after it gets out that their whole roster is scared s of their employer. Are you buying into the good Samaritan? There is nothing but bribes, divide and conquer and dirty tactics the way I see it. This is this person talking, not me. Should she have said no thanks? No, I think she should take it. I mean... Um, I hate to be so crude with it, but beggars can't be choosers, right? And if you've got a real health problem, probably on the better side to address those things. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, it's certainly altruistic and that's great, but I don't, you know, is it, it's not perfect altruism. It's convenient altruism. That's the world we live in. Here's a good one. Hey Luke, you've spoken out about fighters' rights and how excessive USADA testing may be unfair, since it's a violation of privacy. It can be, depending on the program, or it may not be. Just curious, what you make of Nick Diaz's response to the member of USADA trying to gather results while he's saying, "I've gone, I've been gone all day. I need to get some sleep." Does he have somewhat of a point? Okay, let me be honest about this. I have, I know about these Nick Diaz snaps or video or whatever it is. I've, he- I've I know of them. I have heard about them. I have not watched them. I do not know the circumstances. I cannot comment on that intelligently. Um, So I, I have to put that to the side. Your question is certainly is a good one. I just have improper information to give any kind of a response. What I would say, though, is I put out some feelers on Twitter recently saying, you know, how let's think about this program technocratically for just a moment. The program each year will have a certain amount of budget. It will have a certain amount of employees. There's a certain amount of time in the day. There's only so much space on earth you have to cover to do these kinds of testings. That naturally tells you there is going to be a limit per year on the amount of tests UFC can do in the previous, in the, in the, in the subsequent years, they might be able to raise that number of tests, but each year it is going to be a finite number. I don't think they leave that too much to chance. They might waffle a little bit, um, in terms of where they get towards the end of the year, but they basically have a rough idea It will likely be no more than let's just say something like I'm going to make it up 10,000 tests right um so naturally you know there's a limit you know that there is a technocratic limit to this operation it is a it has it's a program with a budget that budget has necessary constraints the question you have to ask yourself is what is the maximum amount of tests they should do per year and so when you begin to ask that question a, a common refrain that i heard was you can't put a lid on it because that would you know that would l- limit the effectiveness so like i don't understand what that means does that mean the ufc has to uh, you know get get a do away with their advertising budget um to make testing work better right like if you're, if, you're, if your argument is truly that you can't put a limit on it how much of a black hole is now your argument? Because what you're suggesting is, if we begin to put constraints on this, uh, we begin to lose the program's effectiveness, and we need a certain threshold um, or more. We need a sort of infinite threshold to make it work. And I'm wondering what that what what is that threshold? Right? Um, is it testing them every day? Is it testing them twice a day? Is it testing them once a week? What, what is that number? And and everyone will have a different consensus. But the only thing I push back on is number one you're asking for this astronomical uh, number if you're looking for like, you know, once a week or, you know, I mean, once a day would be virtually impossible, right? And then that runs also headlong into like, you know, what considerations for the private life of these individuals who are independent contractors do we take seriously? When we combine that there's a limited budget to this, when we combine that there's a limit um, uh, in terms of privacy, and then when we ask ourselves, whatever budget we have for this program, what is the upper bound limit for that? Is that necessarily effective enough to either deter or catch cheaters as such? And I think that's a really open question. I don't know what that is. The only thing I sort of point out is, if your argument is, well, there can be no limit, this to me seems like a totally bogus bad argument from the word go, because if your argument is if you can't put a limit on it, number one, you have no way of knowing what the threshold is for any kind of effective action. Number two, you have no real constraints on what kind of budget the program should entail. Number three, it's really it's it's a it's a it's a confused position because no one would actually say get rid of your advertising department, but that would necessarily entail that. If that's what this is really about and number four if your program only works in the sense that you have an infinite threshold for testing then your program doesn't work because in the real world and especially after these unions get involved there's going to be a limit on that when that limit finally hits you and let's say it's something like six tests a year on average then you're going to have to ask yourself is that really enough to make any headway is that really there are real-world constraints about this program that you have to take seriously, both technocratically and then ethically. And to have a confused position where you can have this infinite loop of possibilities is is not serious, it's not real, it's not one that's ever going to happen, uh, and it runs headlong into ethical concerns as well as logistical ones as well. So that's the problem. Uh, Bellator releasing Marching Held. I have to be honest and tell you, I was very surprised by that. I was very surprised by that. I... Uh, He's a, you know he he speaks English not the most dynamic speaker one way or the other but um he's exciting as hell he's gotten a lot better I think he's a very good fighter UFC would be crazy not to pick him up right especially if they want to move into poland uh i'm not i'm not i'm not sure what that's all about maybe he asked for it i as you know he's twenty four years old yeah man like if I'm the UFC that's a no brainer Martin Held is a great fighter. You know, is he going to be a champion in the UFC? I don't know. I don't think so. But he's really good, and he's really fun, and he's really interesting, and and uh, it could be important demographically for them too, you know. Next for you all, Romero. Man, I don't know. So he, This person says, Romero is most deserving of a title shot with Bisping set to fight Henderson. Who do you match up Romero with next? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll make that Jacare rematch. Uh, it's hard. It's, it's tough. It's, it's really, really tough. Uh, Justin Ledette's boxing. Best boxing in the heavyweight division. He's got a nice jab. I don't know if we haven't seen enough to really make that conclusion, but yeah, he's got my attention. Ab was phenomenal phenomenal stinging hard jab man and an effortless one too right like he wasn't just driving it into you it was just he could just pop it and it had this really nice effect great jab from justin lidette uh, all right it's two let's go to the twitter machine if we can Uh, do you think fan interest in rumble is surprisingly low given the explosive, exciting way he ends opponents? Yeah, but he's had a controversial past with domestic violence, and, um, you know, I think he's certainly reformed his image, and I think, to some extent, not on the domestic violence stuff necessarily, although he does a pretty good job of not making it a part of every fight camp, but, um, you know, all those all that weight missing he did at welterweight you know i just think it really kind of stained him a little bit and he's still kind of living that out um people like him but you know and also he's kind of a boring interview like purposely you can tell he doesn't give you much on purpose he's an i, I think is a I, i've interacted with him personally he's a very nice guy in person but I, I don't think he's antagonistic towards media but i think he purposely doesn't give you a lot so he can move on and get out of it and make it as transactional as possible you know Someone says, WTF, Marching Held is 24. I'm going to the 12th grade this year, and I've been watching Marching Held since 7th grade. There you go, man. Guys, has been busy. Seems like MSG card will be bigger than 200. Do you think the UFC will push for an FS1 event on Friday and a pay-per-view on Saturday? I know Mark Ramundi has talked about having um, winning and check fight either on that card or the day before, and I would love that. I would love that. That would be awesome because I'm going to be there for that one. These New York, these don't, they don't have enough East Coast shows, man. You go to New York City, I'll just hop on a train right away, you know. Uh, why aren't you active on Reddit anymore, Luke? I am. I, I lurk a lot. I lurk a lot. But the MMA forums can be a little bit, they can be a little bit, uh, it's good. I like MMA Reddit, but I like to, um, you know, I'm active on the Real Madrid one or like the powerlifting one where I can be a little bit more anonymous. No one really cares about uh no one. I mean, not that they care tremendously about me on Reddit, MMA. I don't. I don't think that's true either. But I'm like, I'm a, I'm a complete. I'm, you know, start fresh there. You know, so it's, I like, I like that a little bit better. I just want to be when I'm on Reddit. I just want to be a normal donk, and I am a normal donk. I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I, you know, sitting here on the third floor of my house. I am no one special. But in MMA it, forums, it can be a little bit of a challenge to interact that way whether it's spread at MMA or the underground or anything else. Who would win? Nate versus Matt Brown. Probably Matt Brown. Ryan Hall versus Dylan Dennis. Oof. Uh Dylan now, because he's bigger and uh, Ryan's been involved in MMA. Dota 5000 versus Punk. Oh, I mean, Dota 5000 would kill him. Dota 5000 is way more qualified. <laughs> like, how many times can I say this? Like of 5000, you can say you can laugh at him all you want. Dude, he's got way more credentials, way more. How would you imagine Nate's career to have panned out at this time had he not fought McGregor at 196? He would have stayed where he was, you know, just above the surface, but not too much above. He'd have stayed right there. Is Conor McGregor finally adding rest days to his training after years of training MMA a signal of poor coaching? Um, I don't know. I would imagine that there are a measure of rest involved in his camps. Yeah. Do you find it odd how regarding PEDs, MMA fans are more than happy to want to ruin an MMA fighter's career? I don't know what that means. I'm not sure what you're asking. Uh, let's see. Do you think fans care about fighters' legacy in MMA? Nobody really talks about top five best fighters of all time. Yeah, of course they do. It's just that it's legacy is a harder thing to come by in mixed martial arts because it's a very its achievement is is. Uh, the kinds of achievement you see are not the same. Like, For example, I don't think Alistair Overman is the greatest heavyweight of all time. However, if he wins the title at UFC 203, let's say he does. Let's say he wins the first round KO, something like that, right? Where is he in the conversation? Hey, he's had, he's had double-digit losses, okay? And you, that you might say that disqualifies him, and I wouldn't argue with you. But at the same time, he had the Strikeforce title, now the UFC title. He had the K-1 title, the Dream title. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something along the way. The guy has beaten a who's who of opposition uh, in a variety of weight classes and times in his career, and held belts across all these many organizations. Now he didn't fight some of the right guys. He lost to some of the other ones. I don't think it makes him that case. But like I'm just saying, you know, when you try to answer the question of who's the best heavyweight ever, is it Verdum? Is it Fatal? Or it's it's very difficult because the nature of their achievements um, are, are are quite different. And so when you talk about someone's legacy in mixed martial arts that can be hard to make sense of because their achievements are quite different some had consistency over time some beat the right guys some beat the right guys in spectacular ways some did some other things in terms of weight class jumps it's it's just it's not linear it's it's really difficult to to make sense of but certainly yeah i think people care MMA legends, to me, don't get any respect after they retire like Frank Shamrock, but that's also part of, of the fact that, you know, Frank Shamrock and the UFC are estranged from one another, where, you know, he hasn't been inducted into the Hall of Fame, him directly. I mean, I, I think he got in, he could get in, let's say, for example, if they wanted to maybe with, like, the Tito fight, you know, but put him in that way, but um, they're just estranged from one another, and I think that has affected the way he is viewed historically false. Cruz will fight Cody, not TJ. I'll say true. Skins will finish behind Dallas and New York Giants. You crazy? Cerrone finishes story. False. But he might beat him because Cerrone is really good. Jones fights Gustafson before getting title shot. That's an interesting one. That's a really good question. I'll say true. Glover has a better chance versus DC than Rumble. I'll also say true. How do you feel about Vitor Belfort versus Nick Diaz? Uh, maybe. Uh, it doesn't excite me, but if you're asking me, like, is there economic possibility there? Sure. Luke, do you believe that Connor can adapt to Nate's style and fight a different fight? Yes, I can. Absolutely can 100%. That doesn't mean he necessarily will win, but if, do I believe he can compete quite differently than he did the first time? Sure, 100%. Or a false, Cruz is a more interesting talker than Connor. False, Punk goes, Oh, and well, interesting to me, but hard one to answer. Punk goes zero and three and is cut. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it goes that far. Stu is the man. I don't like Stu that much. I like Levitard. I like Pablo Torre. I like Israel Gutierrez. I like a lot of that show. Um, Bomani Jones is great, but impossible to follow on Twitter because he—I mean—he's got over three hundred thousand tweets. It's like you just it hogs your feed. Is McGregor overrated? Resume lacks elite fighters minus Aldo. Easiest path to title in modern UFC. That just isn't even close to true. Unrelated question. Did you listen to the last Megadeth album? I saw them live yesterday. It's amazing. Never been much of a Megadeth fan. I don't hate on them. I, I, I don't hate on them. But I just never... I don't know. I can see why they got rid of Dave Mustaine. Even if it had nothing to do with music necessarily from Metallica. Uh, how well do you think grappling stars like Gary Tonin and Gordon Ryan will transition to MMA? Well, I Gordon Ryan had a great win over Kenny Cornelius. It was like the most technical, dangerous flow roll ever. Um, that leg lock stuff is really, really powerful and impactful, but I think it's got limits in MMA. I really do. Uh especially when there's sweat and punches involved. Um and no one has, you know, spats on or something like that. It it, it's highly effective. I'm not saying it wouldn't work at all in MMA, but I think it would have some real limits. I think it could take you pretty far and then and then it comes to a halt, you know. Um, but that being said, Gary Tonin's also a very complete grappler as well. I mean, he can do it all. So that it would only be to what extent he employed it. Do you think we'll see in the near future some cross promotion appearances from the new owners, other clients? Yeah. Yeah, I do. If you could use one word to describe the current state of the light heavyweight division, what would it be? Um, Reduced. Calcified would be too strong. Uh, Something less than what it once was. The story's recent affinity for throwing monster body shots changed the way you predict this fight to go. No, but it certainly is something you have to take into consideration. If Magni beats Larkin, who would you give him next? Won 10 of his last 11 and looked great, deserves to be top five. Got to be someone in that top seven at least, man. Got to be, got to be, got to be, got to be at that point. Who set Lee Harvey Oswald up, Luke? I don't know. Uh, and Kane looks great at two hundred. Can he become a third, three-time champion? Yes, he can. I don't think that's crazy at all. Does the scrap pack get enough credit for being an elite team? That is, I think the scrap pack is more these days, like Gilbert's teams from from his gym, which Diaz would not be a part of uh, necessarily. But I know what you're talking. I know what you're asking. Um, yeah, that 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 group is tough you know those north cal guys they're they're tough they're a tough bunch what belief about MMA did you have years ago that would cause you now to call your former self a donk ooh um it's a tough one i'm sure there's plenty i don't know ooh Exciting by Lester. Uh, I have to answer. I have to think about that one because I'm sure I've got some dumbass ones. Oh, I had one that I thought like Anderson Silva was going to like Anderson Silva. As soon as he fights a grappler, he's going to lose. You know, um, anyone who's getting going to good. And I was like, uh, you know, because Travis Luther was all messed up for that fight. I was like, Pff, anyone else gets him down, he's going to kill him. And then, then you know, Matt Lindland, of course, can't. I don't think he ever did. He, I can't remember, but it was certainly the Dan Henderson fight where I was like. Dan Henderson's going to kick his ass, you know? This is this is going to be child's play. And then this sort of, like, bizarre denial of his ability went on for quite some time. Yeah, so he beat Chris Lee. He beat, he beat uh, Lieben, then Franklin, then Luter. After the Luter fight, I was like, oh, Nate Marquardt's going to tear him up. Nope. Rich Franklin, I didn't think he was going to tear him up. Then Dan Henderson, I was like, Dan Henderson's going to tear him up. You know, and I just went and Talos Lydides. I think by Talos Lydides, I was like, okay, I don't think there, anyone's going to tear him up anymore. But I, for a while, I held on to this bizarre, uh, notion that he was just, you know, a walking liability. If Diaz was to devastatingly KO McGregor in the first round, how would that affect his popularity? I still think he would be a a big draw because he still is the featherweight champion of the world. That would be a substantial setback for him. You know, two losses in a row to the same guy under circumstances that he created. I mean, there could be no excuses this time. They just can't. They just can't. You know, you had everything going for you. You had you spent. You bought a new house, essentially. I mean, he didn't buy a house, but 300 grand. I mean, you could then a lot of places in America. That's more than a down payment, if not the outright cost of the home. And then some for this camp. If you can't beat him under those circumstances, you just can't beat him. Um, That would be potentially devastating for him. Potentially. True or false, Luke Thomas prefers watching the evolution of Punk to the latest Jason Bourne movie. That's true, which is to say I prefer, you know, um, stubbing my toe to being burned alive. Do money fights prevent the UFC from making a valid case for MMA in the Olympic Games? No. John Jones claims to have good news, yet he can't disclose. Right. I mean, that, that, that makes plenty of sense to um, be legally obligated from not discussing it. You know, there could be a number of issues related to that, or he didn't want to make it public before going through a hearing so that he doesn't scoop his own the commission or USADA or whatever the case may be that some of these results are still pending or who knows, there could be any number of reasons why he did that. Any rumors of pay-per-view buys for UFC 200? I believe that Dave Meltzer said 1.1 to 1.2 million which would be pretty successful. In his twisted love letter to his fans, how much did John Jones' video remind you of Norman Bates' scene from the movie Psycho? Well, he didn't say the word mother in there, so not that much. Which words best describe Connor's interviews? Delusional? Uh, I mean, he are just made up words. Oh, no. Chicanery, fantasy, speciousness, spuriousness, hallucination, head trip. None of those. So it says, What are the odds a UFC fighter, middleweight or smaller, being able to beat an untrained NFL first team outside linebacker in a street fight? You ever seen the old video of Boz Rudin talking about how Brian Erlocker wanted a piece of him? And Boz was like, Okay, sure. Fine. We can go outside. Yeah, no problem. And uh, people had to be like, to Brian Urlacher, being like, dude, this is not something you want to do. Yeah, like whatever differential there might be in athleticism, it would not be overly substantial. Probably, um, it'd be it'd be some maybe, but not not this enormous amount. Certainly not enough to make up for what is going to be a massive skills differential, right? Yeah, Punk, I currently have him as a plus 265 underdog with Gall being a 320 favorite of the following, which is the safest investment. Putting 10 grand into one, a government bond. B, Apple stock. C, a mutual fund based on the S&P 500. A bet on Mickey Gall. <laughs> uh, I'll stick with the government bond. How about that? All right. Thank you guys for watching. Please give it a thumbs up. I really appreciate it. Uh, like and subscribe uh, to the channel and uh look time show starting about uh four o'clock there's also going to be a presser for between connor and nate at four as well um so check that out i appreciate you guys watching i will have this up on podcast i'm getting them up really soon these days uh very soon thank you guys so much and until next time stay frosty